0: Pittsburgh is a collection of neighborhoods, all of them carved out of the many hills surrounding the confluence of waters. Join us as we explore the artistic landscape of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This is Artifications. My name is Roland Ramos. We explore cities around the world looking for accessibility for artists and travelers especially. So it's all about cultural enrichment. Thanks for listening. Today, we'll be speaking about Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and its art scene. It's a relatively large city located in western Pennsylvania, a couple hours south of uh, the Great Lakes. You'll be hearing a number of interviews with different artists and gallery owners in the area discussing the city itself, its accessibility, and the success that artists have in navigating it. At this time, I would recommend you to find the link in our show notes that will take you to our Pittsburgh page at Artifications.us. Here you'll find the pittsburgh artist resource page with videos of every gallery we explored while we were there as well as an article based on our experiences in the pittsburgh art scene a link to our long form audio podcast which you're listening to now and links to several artist groups that share our core mission of making the art world more accessible to artists and travelers alike You will be hearing numerous interviews with gallery owners and artists in the Pittsburgh area. What you won't hear are the questions that I've asked. So, we always begin by asking our subject where we are, how long has it been here, and their role in its formation. We try to assert what level of involvement a place has in the community. And, uh, you know, it usually comes out at this time if there's a first Friday or something like that. Uh, We also ask the person where they're from originally and if they're not from the city we're visiting what brought them there and what keeps them there especially no one's forcing anyone to stay anywhere our questions then tend to focus on accessibility and mobility is there upward mobility in this particular art scene what does it look like where are the starter galleries and how does one start networking is there a pool of networkers available these and other questions we'll get into at artifications but first we always start with history going back to pre-columbian days the site where Pittsburgh lies is one that is full of power. Wherever the confluence of two rivers meet has always been regarded of a, as a place of spiritual significance. It received the name Pittsburgh in 1758 by uh, then General John Forbes, and it was named Pittsburgh, or Pittsburgh, in honor of the British statesman William Pitt for years. Pittsburgh had a a gigantic reputation in the world as the steel city. Right now, when you drive through Pittsburgh, yes, you get the sense that this is a large, expansive city. But it does seem that it's well off its peak. And the population statistics do point to a downward trend. So people are moving out. At the same time, this presents a fantastic opportunity for the city and artists. Pittsburgh can be considered like a public secret because time and again you'll hear stories from locals of how much they love their community their the affordability uh, the ease of of access to nature and the architecture and yada 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 and imagine if the secret got out and everybody moved back to Pittsburgh. <laughs> All I'm saying is that Arts provides the perfect entree point for people to access Pittsburgh for all the right reasons, to contribute or engage in the cultural discourse going on. Now, we started in 2017 with Longform podcasts. If you know our documentary series, we give you two minutes of interviews. Not here. We're going to let the interviews play out so we can get a more granular look at each of these fascinating cities. This one in particular is Pittsburgh. We're going to be talking about two distinct neighborhoods that are on both sides of the Allegheny River. That's the northern spur of the confluence of rivers that surround the tip of Pittsburgh. We'll be dealing with two distinct art neighborhoods today, Lawrenceville and Northside. In Lawrenceville, we're meeting with Madeline Ghent, the director of the Associated Artists of Pittsburgh. Next, we bounce over to Butler Street, just a couple blocks away, and we interact with two different galleries. The first one is Bee Galleries, owned by Joy Borelli-Edwards, where we interview her and one of her artists that are renting a studio space in the back. A few blocks away, we find the Redfish Bowl Studios, where Mia actually sits down and gives us a little bit of a breakdown on what this awesome place has to offer for emerging and mid-career artists. Next, we pop over the Allegheny to visit the Northside neighborhood in Pittsburgh, home to a lot of great museums and galleries, such as the Mattress Museum, Andy Warhol Museum. But we're going to stop by and visit a very brilliant guy by the name of Randy, who runs an outdoor space called Randyland. You can't miss it. Literally, you can't miss it, because it takes up about a block and a half at an intersection in an otherwise small neighborhood. But now, let's go back in time. Life could be traced back to the Pittsburgh River Valley area for the past 16,000 years. In fact, this whole area was carved out by just oceans of water flowing through this river valley, while during the last ice age, the ice would freeze and then melt and then refreeze annually. Of course, all this uh, created a tremendous amount of deposits in the area, leading to this area's number one export for years to come, coal. The circumstances that created a coal-rich environment also created a beautiful natural uh, environment that you get to see when you drive around Pittsburgh and you look at the natural exposed rock. They always show tons of striations, which are basically insights into millennia of geological history. Pittsburgh lies at the head of the Ohio River at the confluence of both Allegheny and the Monongahela Rivers. This is important to remember because we're going to focus mainly on the Algehane River and the neighborhoods both on the northern bank and the southern bank. The area was first settled in the later 1700s, and river traffic would prove to be the most versatile and easiest mode of transportation, creating in many ways the Pittsburgh as the original gateway to the West. One of the things that a lot of uh, settlers ran into was keeping things fresh. They would count on uh, their stockpiles of ice that they could take from the river in the winter and store it um, to keep everything fresh. Now, these ice houses you can find in many cities between the 1700s and early 1900s we're going to focus on one specific one this one has now been rehabbed into ice house studios located in lawrenceville district of pittsburgh and i love how right off the bat you can tell how much of their own space they've dedicated to supporting the arts We're here to meet with Madeline Gent, the executive director of the Associated Artists of Pittsburgh Group, where they are currently showing their exhibitions in one of the larger first floor spaces of Ice House Studios. At the time of our recording, the Associated Artists Group is celebrating its 111th birthday and is commonly recognized as a major contributor to the arts and cultural history of Pittsburgh. The group currently consists of over 500 members and has continuously rotating exhibitions and works with multiple organizations around the city to carry out its mandate of assisting artists from all over the region.
1: My name is Madeline Gent, I'm Executive Director of Associated Artists of Pittsburgh. Associated of Artists of Pittsburgh exhibits, promotes, and supports the work of regional artists. We're a membership organization that is 111 years old. At that time, there were few spaces in Pittsburgh in 1911 where one would find work by local artists. We're still wrangling the artists in many ways in Pittsburgh, but in many ways they're wrangling us. Um, because they're dying for different opportunities. Not dying is a very dramatic word in this moment. They're, they, they want different opportunities. They want to present themselves, just as any, any professional would, as a working artist. As, and they would love to make livings off of their practice. And there are artists who do that. And so what we kind of do is provide those opportunities for one to do that. And we've been doing that on, off and on for other years. But what we also provide is the ability to get, have your work like intellectually engaged or critically engaged, I should say because we've had these relationships with these spaces and places we kind of in many ways serve as a benchmark or a milestone for artists to get into the organizations to get into the museum to get their artwork seen Um, and now we've added the element of a lot more professional development Um, we do workshops on taxes and copyright protections and contracts and um, you know portfolio reviews on your practice and this and that and mentorship opportunities and partnering with whomever we can to make that happen we really benefit by working with various partners in the community in supporting artists' work. I am, I originally grew up about an hour and a half north of here in a town called Franklin. And actually, at one point, my grandmother lived in Lawrenceville. Um, so I'm like weirdly connected in more ways than one. And she was a practicing painter herself. But My background is in more of the, uh, the literary arts. I'm an art historian, I guess, by training. Um, so writing would be my, my chosen art form. I did, I lived in Washington, DC, um, Maryland, Virginia for almost 15 years for my undergrad and then for my graduate work. And I worked at the Freer and Sackler, which is the Smithsonian Museum of Asian Art. Um, taught at the University of Maryland, taught at Johns Hopkins, did a curatorial fellowship. Um, before knowing I wanted to return um, back closer to my family. Both my, my sister's still nearby, my parents are still near, nearby. And so I decided I wanted to come back here. And I found this job opportunity online and applied um, to become the director. And when I came in, um, one of the first things, one of the most important things was uh, really um, cementing and and building more relationships in the community. Uh, We had for a long time been the organization that we got our artists in the Carnegie, they checked that off and that was kind of it. But in reality is there is a lot more that goes into play into supporting artists um, and so, it's something that we used to do really, really well. And so, we really wanted to get back into that and support a larger artist community. Um, you know, artists that necessarily don't reach out to an organization of like ours. Artists that are maybe don't have that traditional academic training. Artists from marginalized communities, artists of color, LGBTQ plus artists. That, for me, was the work that really that we needed to do and that we are trying to do in many ways um, there's a lot of success and failures at it but we're doing what we can and we're going to keep doing what we can a lot of that is through like the partnerships that i mentioned um, partnering with other organizations who maybe do it better than us and supporting their work Um, but we are an organization of over 600 plus members and that has just been growing there's not this ideal number of artists we want to have But um, you are juried in through a a process, through your work is evaluated by external jurors. We just recently worked with a photographer from Atlanta and a practicing artist from Detroit to do the last round to kind of examine all the artwork. And really, on their specifications, there's nothing that I'm looking for that says this is art and this is not art, but rather that's what the juror is for, and that's why we hire them to do the work, to get their point of view. Pittsburgh is different. It's very much like a we call it like a big little city because it has the infrastructure of a much larger city. There was a time when the steel industry was booming and there were more jobs and we just had a larger population. Um, and, and since the collapse of the steel industry, the population has declined following that, though we do see upticks in certain age groups that suggest X, Y and Z and otherwise. So what happens in Pittsburgh is you have a great place for Um, emerging artists like coming out of your your carnegie melons and your pits and your point parks and they have kind of this moment where there's a lot of different spaces and and places that they can show their work and get really excited and kind of get a following and audience and then it kind of peters out a little bit and then there's this great space for these established artists these professors they have been practicing and teaching for so long and they come here and it's an affordable way to live and they find an, an um kind of art buying market that's not huge but you know they're making different things work it's that mid-level queer that's a little bit harder that i think when you have a city that has more commercial galleries we have some not a ton um, that maybe there's more of that outlet for them and so that's what we're trying to fill that need here and other spaces like silver eye center for photography or boom concepts or the glass center or contemporary craft are also doing that providing kind of this more um just this additional way to get your artwork out there and get it seen by not necessarily just local individuals who may purchase your work but a larger audience as well and so we're kind of operating within that area where we don't like i said we don't have a ton of commercials gallery spaces but we have this infrastructure of what was once a larger city so there's this feeling that they should be there and and there's not anymore so how do we make it work
2: with what we have
0: this neighborhood around ice house studios is called Lawrenceville. i said it at the beginning of this podcast that pittsburgh is a collection of neighborhoods it begs the question why did these neighborhoods show up in the first place what was it that bought people to pittsburgh and the answer to that is the steel industry I don't want to go too much into a history lesson, but steel can be traced back to 1800 BC. Essentially, iron, which has been around for a long, long time, becomes super hot, and the longer you leave it on the heat, the harder it gets. It was made in relatively limited, small production, enough for uh, swords and such like that, up until the 1850s with the introduction of the Bessemer furnace method of creating inexpensive steel. One necessary component for steel production is coke. And you need a lot of coal in order to make coke. And where can you find a lot of coal? Western Pennsylvania. It was in the early 1880s when industrialist Andrew Carnegie met up with then coke magnate Henry Clay Frick to form the United States Steel Company. Together they would buy up large swaths of land in and around Pittsburgh, creating this hellish landscape where the sooty smoke would collect above the city and the furnaces would be running 24 hours a day. But they were successful in bringing in waves and waves of people to work in the industry up until its collapse. As the power and allure of jobs faded, waves of people ended up leaving these cities, which left us with what we call the Rust Belt, certain cities that depended highly on steel production, specifically in Pennsylvania. This is where we find Lawrenceville today, a neighborhood clearly on the upswing. This hipster-filled neighborhood is one of the largest in all of Pittsburgh and was named after Captain James Lawrence, the hero of the War of 1812, whose famous dying words were, Don't give up the ship! In Lawrenceville, our next destination is Butler Street, the main thoroughfare. While we didn't find an overwhelming number of galleries along Butler, what we did find was thrilling. It begins in Lower Lawrenceville through the wide windows of the Borelli Edwards Gallery. Everyone in town knows it as Bee Galleries. I met with B Galleries herself, Joy Borelli Edwards, and also had a couple minutes with the artist that has a studio in the back, Cheryl Capazuti. These two interviews are quite insightful because the parties I'm interviewing have been here for a long time and could talk to the transitions that they've seen the neighborhoods undergo and why they stayed here and how they've managed to do it. Both parties paint a pretty compelling image of the city for artists and curators alike, especially Joy. Her decision to move to Butler Street came after years of watching the area change while running her own gallery in the suburbs of Pittsburgh every place we've worked with so far at Pittsburgh has been wonderfully accommodating, especially since we had to make appointments. So if you plan on coming to Pittsburgh, go ahead and make an appointment before you leave and enjoy your experience. Now let's just jump right in.
3: My name is Joy Borelli Edwards and um, I'm in Lawrenceville and we are um, in this area that has uh, had quite a resurgence of um, rebuilding and um, remaking and when I first located myself here um, there were a lot of drugs and prostitution, and uh, and I was a little nervous. But uh, the magistrate here assured me that it was it was safe on Butler Street, and I actually feel safer here than where I was in the suburbs before coming here. My artist, actually, that had lived that lived here, one of my artists, Mary Mazziotti, who lives here in Lawrenceville, recommended that I move. I lost my lease after 30 years in the suburbs, and she said, "Well, you must come to Lawrenceville because it is." is the next neighborhood that will really evolve, and it will be a magnet for artists and musicians. And it was really funny when I first came here. There was such a plethora of uh, musicians here and artists. And uh, at the time that it came in 2007, uh, it was um, pretty rough, but starting to show signs of um, a renewal, renewal. and the Lawrenceville Corporation was instrumental in um, helping me um, get the space uh, and um, help me with the modifications that I needed to put the gallery here. So the development corporation, Lawrenceville Development Corporation, I have to really... um, thank them for um, allowing me to be in the space. Um, This building I wanted to tell you about because originally it had started out as a building that was supposed to have only studio spaces for artists. And at the time, there was one artist in here. But again, even at the very reduced rate of rent, it was still difficult for artists to, um, to make their way. And uh, so I try the best I can to support the local artists. I try to show artists here, all the regional artists here. You must be an artist that is um, from the region. You must be working full time or um, working toward uh, being a full time artist in order to show in the gallery. And uh, so I have high criteria. but. Uh, I try to, my, my mission is, is really uh, not about selling artist commodity. I've never sold artist commodity, and I think that dif- that's how I differ from most galleries. I sell the aesthetic. I sell the soul of the artist. That is what people are getting when they come to this gallery and they buy a piece of art. We represent about 30 artists, and uh, we show at least 50% women. Um, it's very important, and we also try to um, uh, we we actively search for people of color to show in the gallery mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we continue to work uh, for that mission. We have achieved the fifty percent um, female um, representation, and now we're we're working on um, diversity. Uh, we've always tried for diversity, but it's been difficult to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, diversity into the gallery, um, so that's for whatever reason, and I would like to explore that and try to um, improve in that area. We're here at uh, BE Galleries, AKA Borelli Edwards Galleries. We shorten it to BE Galleries, (laughs) and we're located here in Lawrenceville. So these were all. Pa- the, they they had a, they had originally designed this this with all pallets. The the pallets are behind here, and we put homosode on top of the uh, on top of the pallets uh, to make it more uh, a nice hanging space. Uh yes, I think uh, Lawrenceville will be a more more of a magnet. Um, I located here because I liked its proximity to the river, that it was just a couple of miles out from the point. So uh I love that about it. The location is terrific. And uh Stephen Foster uh lived here and a lot of musicians here. The the the, the location for artists is great. Um just the way the space is is um, is laid out here is very attractive and I can't put my finger on it but I just knew when I was here I was home you have the beautiful church across the street St. Augustine's an absolute uh, gorgeous um, Architectural gem in the neighborhood, so you have a lot of gorgeous architectural gems. You've got the river, you've got the bridges, that all lead into this area. So it makes it a very nice destination for artists. But uh, having the Society for Contemporary Craft just a couple of miles down the road is phenomenal. It's also in Lawrenceville, um, and there are other smaller galleries interspersed on Butler Street. And I think, um, I think it is going to be. Um, a really a great magnet continually in, in the next 10 years
0: here we step out of the gallery and into the Warren of Studios behind it where we meet Cheryl Capazuti, a local Pittsburgh artist who is using the space to create these larger-than-life spindly tall sculptural humanoids out of what you ask
2: I'm Cheryl Cappizzuti, you're here in my studio in Lawrenceville in the city of Pittsburgh. Um, I've actually been working in this space for less than a year. It's sort of been my pandemic quarantine location for my large scale work with um, found and discarded materials so the pieces you're looking at here are um made out of dryer lint donated from people from all over the country and i've just been sort of using this detritus of everyday life for a long time that um, i don't know it speaks to me about it's sort of like our cultural shedding and making work that um connects to that and who we are as people, something that we share has always been interesting to me, and I've been working on you know, making bigger sculptures that maybe evoke more, um, I don't know, more thought on what it means to be human right now. So, I mean, I'm making work that the work looks almost like it's made out of stone or concrete from a distance. I think I'm trying to make work that has almost a monumental feel to it, but then when you get close, you sort of can see the layers of the material and, the detritus of our life. So um, the tickets, the receipts, the gum wrappers, the threads, the pen caps that we find in our pockets of things that we don't even think about is something that I've been sort of like interested in experimenting with and sort of that play between um, hard and soft or, beautiful and awful <laughs> it, you know sort of that play in opposites in my work is something i've always been really interested in so i was actually born in suburban pittsburgh and went away to college and came back really because i fell in love and i thought that we would be here for a year and then we were out of here and while my husband was finishing up his um, graduate work and honestly one year living right in the city and making art like 20 years ago, Pittsburgh was sort of a playground for young creative people like you could do. It felt like you could do anything, make anything. I was do, I started doing installations in a laundromat. I started doing all kinds of like inventive stuff that maybe you couldn't do in a more um, expensive city. And, you know, 20 years later, 25 years later now, I still love it. I still feel like my op- opportunities haven't ended here and um, I don't know, it's, I also have kids, so it's a great place to you know, have teenagers running around the place. And um, it's a fairly affordable city where you can afford to own a home and have a studio and work as an artist, which isn't true everywhere. And I've been fortunate in that regard. So, um, I mean, I was like, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, I bought a house with a carriage house and that has been my primary working space for most of my professional life. And actually most people in Pittsburgh know me as a puppet maker. I, um, I paid my studio bills making giant puppets for parades and producing community interactive. Um, public art experiences with giant puppets. And so my puppet studio is still in operation and operating out of my um, carriage house in Brighton Heights in the, another Pittsburgh neighborhood on the north side. Um, I didn't have room in that space to do work of this scale, especially because I'm storing 300 giant puppets there right now. So. Um, I just, you know, needed a space that would allow me sort of like, sort of like to cleanse the palate and start fresh with, a work, with work that, I mean, in many ways mirrors my pandemic experience of, and I feel like I've been trying, in some ways, trying to capture that in the work that I'm making as well the the cool thing about pittsburgh is young poor people can come and buy houses like so i bought my first house when i was 22 for less than fifty thousand dollars, and i have always had a studio space in a home that i've owned now i know that that's um, not possible for everybody but in pittsburgh um, everyone i know has a studio Um, whether it's in their home or there's also rental spaces um, like all over the place it seems like it seems like a realistic place to get studio space if you're committed to your practice i mean you have to you know like there's always an expense to making and i've always been completely committed to my creative practice and not having a studio space is not an option and in pittsburgh you can do it yeah i'm pretty easy to find
0: To learn more about this and all the other documentaries Artifications has to offer on all the art scenes we visited across the world, visit us at Artifications.us, follow us on our social media including Instagram and Facebook, and most importantly, don't forget to subscribe on YouTube. It's a beautiful time for a walk down Butler Street in pedestrian-friendly Lawrenceville. Lots of places to grab a drink or grab a cup of coffee, bring your four-legged friends, meet more two and four-legged friends. The tattoo shop looks busy, and so does the local glass artisan who's busy making work right in front of the big window. If you continue walking long enough, you'll start to see in the distance the beautiful entrance to the local cemetery. It's around here that you notice a mannequin on their knees holding a tray and a big sign. This mannequin is normally everyone's first experience with the facility just up the stairs behind it. Welcome to Red Fish Bowl Studios. Easily I can say I love the emerging artist vibe and mid-career artist kind of environment that exists here in Lawrenceville at this particular place. The space is large. It has numerous places for artists to show their work and numerous studios where they can actually operate in private or semi-private environments. I love the colorfulness, the way it works, but I think you'd love to hear it from someone from the actual space. Let me introduce Mia.
4: Hi, how are you? Welcome to Fish Bowl. I'm Mia St. Clair, and we're here in Pittsburgh's uh, neighborhood of Lawrenceville. It's an amazing space for artists of all different skills levels and mediums to come where they could rent space, share a community space, where they could share resources and also get to know um, other artists, share techniques. And we're just all about the community here and helping people out. And then as you could see, when you walk around our gallery, all of our artists here that have space sell um, all their pieces here too. Absolutely, we have uh, figure drawing w- workshops that occur almost every week. Um, now that COVID is, um, some of our restrictions are, re- are being lifted. We're able to offer some of our more events. We have workshops. We even have people that come here and teach um, dance classes. We've had music videos shot here. So we're really um, open to all different types of, you know, whatever your art may be. Um, It's been wonderful. You've definitely seen an increase in productivity with the artists. I think it has to do too with having some of the sunshine finally here in Pittsburgh, but you're really seeing people coming out and about and everybody's really excited to, get out and, and visit with one, one another again, but we are very safe here. We do require a mask, even if you've been vaccinated, which this is great. Everybody should go out and get vaccinated, um, but we do uh, maintain social distancing rules and mask care as well. Um, you can find us mostly on our Instagram page at redfishbowl. I love Pittsburgh. I was born here and then I took off right after high school. I uh, was in New York City, Canada, and I felt that I needed to come back home and what a wonderful time it is to be in Pittsburgh. We're revitalizing, it's a great um, place to be here, whether you're doing business or art, the vibe of the city is really rich
0: this is a fantastic time. Already you can see that in this one little neighborhood, we already have some viable options for artists to find substantial uh, studio space for their work. Uh, It's an affordable place to live. Now what's missing is to find out what kind of galleries do they have here. A search will reveal that there are a number of co-ops and independent galleries, but really nothing that would be any indication of the size of the city. And it's true. I, I I did see a distinct lack in exhibition spaces. The, given the COVID-19 restrictions and how it's really shut down even the largest arts facilities, when things do open up, it appears to be a, a time of opportunity for artists to possibly f- go collective and find spaces together that can celebrate there are and others. There's a lot of opportunity here once again. We're gonna take the opportunity to cross the Al River over to its northern bank and make our way down to a part of town that I find really inspiring. Our destination is the Mexican War Street section of uh, Central North Side. It's funny, it has a funny name, the Mexican War Streets, because it was named after uh, the Mexican-American War that took place in the 1840s between the United States and Mexico. Now, making this your destination puts you in the middle of a lot of inspiring destinations. Uh, First of all, you're right by the Alghaini Commons, which is a beautiful park, and in the middle of it is a national aviary with a fantastic array of, of, of fowls, birds of all kinds, and penguins. Across the Mexican War Streets, you're going to find this warren of big brick, beautiful structures. Uh, You look down the streets, you're going to find more of them in this little tiny neighborhood of Northside. Specifically, we'll be focusing on Central Northside, which is home to a number of different uh, art facilities, including the Mattress Museum, which is a contemporary art museum. Also, the Andy Warhol Museum, dedicated to all things Andy Warhol walk around the neighborhood long enough, you'll start to see it get really colorful really fast. Chances are you've come upon Randyland. Now, I met Randy before I arrived through a conversation on the phone, so I knew that he had a great story and that he could really tell a story and if you let him go on, he will tell the whole story. If when you go to Randyland you see that there is a story behind everything and that his outsized personality is merely a shimmer compared to all the creative pieces that he has in the area that he's created randyland one thing i learned for definite is that randy's best spokesman is randy so just to set the scene let me set the scene for you. Randy has just been mic'd up by myself in preparation for an interview. But before he can do that, he has to come into the space and address publicly everyone who's made it to Randyland, where he will begin by telling his story and the story of the space. Hi, everybody.
5: Oh, my gosh!
0: Hi.
5: What? Hey, what's up? Hi. Uh, thank you. I, I want to thank you. Um, for being here. So thank you. Um, you could be anywhere. Yeah, like the world is very large, but you're here. I don't know why you're here, but you're here, and that means that I, I'm very fortunate. Um, thank you so much. Um, my name is Randy. Um, they call me Randyland. Yes, I didn't call it that. A long time ago, they called it Randyland because I have 800 gardens, 50 vegetable gardens, eight parks. I've been over here um, for like about almost 47 years. And uh, the neighborhood was full of garbage and all kind of yuck. And I came over and I started doing little parks and gardens. The kids started helping me. So one by one became five kids, 30 kids, oh my goodness, almost 100. And the people and everybody's running, who who is this guy? Why are all these children with him? Well, you see, I was given um, love, L-O-V-E, love. And they used to write songs about it and sing it, bring it back to the world. Let's have love, happiness, joy, and peace. People are stopping that. Why are they stopping the songs, the messages, the happiness, the hugs, and all the wonderful things that come with love? Why, 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 why? You know, it's sad, but your job now was to pick it up. Your job is to now to teach the world. Because as we teach love, it comes back in pride, integrity, character, love, and that's why I'm so happy. It's my fuel. It's like fertilizer. Your little seeds. If you don't, if you don't absorb positives, well, then you rot in the garden. So you know, the more love and happiness you bring into yourself, pass it back out. Um, I have ADHD, OCD, autism. I'm not smart. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of. People always call me all kinds of things. You know, stupid, dumb. You know, I was, never, I was never able to get what everybody got. So um, with that being said, I started collecting um, things that were like me, things that were like rejected um, in the garbage out there, thrown away. And I found out, guess what? All the things that were cracked and chipped, I realized that the more I collected, the more I realized that actually the whole world is cracked and chipped and blemished and screws too light, missing screws, rusted, broken. So see, everything and everyone is in one way or another not 100% perfect. So see, instead of pointing fingers at others, let's just not do that. And let them be their own frequency. Hopefully it's a happy frequency. And that's what Randy Lynn is. It's the corner of stuff that nobody wanted. Nobody really helped me or wanted me around because I was always like I'm not smart. So um, you know. So I wanted my life too. So I wanted happiness. So I found it in the garbage. I found it in the dumpsters. I found it in the alleyways. I found it in all the wonderful places on the shelves that were 80% off because nobody wanted it. So Randy Land teaches people recycling repurposing. Um, I know a lot of people are here. To, uh, we have to uh, do something in a minute. But those flowers over there, see those flowers on that table right here? Uh, right here? Um, I want to especially show you something because that's not paint. What, what, what? Not paint. Well, what? What makes all these colors? Randyland is not paint. Oh, wow! I'm going to tell you my secret. Randyland is stained. See, paint will fall off, and it will deter its color. And the sun hits it, so it's a big chalkboard. And every time Mother Nature, uh, water, rain, uh, the sun hits it, it becomes, well, less and less and less strong. So eventually, after seven, eight, nine, ten years. Your house is looking like heck, it's cracking, and you say, Wow, but see, I started using stains, um, and a long time ago I started using stains and I found out they stretch. Oh my god, like a band-aid. What? Yeah, they fall. And you know what else? And when, when stain falls on the floor, let me show you. It goes, okay, when, when 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 paint falls on the floor, it goes blop. When stain falls on the floor, it goes blop. Blap. So it goes figures and so in stain a purple stain falling will break up in a dark red light red purple green and orange and i thought wow this is awesome it's like a tie-dye i didn't even know it you got spaghetti stains on your shirt that's what this is only in color form so i've started to find out that stains are flexible nobody uses stains why because they want you to buy paints, because they can make twice as much money. If you would paint your house in stain, it's going to look like light bulbs underneath all the colors. So your house will look like this in 20, 30 years from now. Oh my goodness gracious, I think I talked to you into buying solid stain, and you can get any color you want. I get mine at Home Depot, which is the Bear products. So all these colors were being told that you can't get. You had to get it in a product called paint that wasn't going to last. Now, I'm telling you, do it. Go get solid stains, get it in every color of the world, and mix them up. And, you know, it's like a smile. So now I found out I can make flowers, I actually have a whole bunch of clothes um, and I make actually about 50 things out of stain now and they don't offer that at the stores, so I'm, on the, I'm going to try to do some lessons, I want to see if I can get a contract with somebody and teach people how they don't have to have happiness belong to somebody else you can have happiness as easy as spaghetti stains on your shirt. Just by getting the right products. And if they would put it in quarts, pints, etc., and if I teach people how they can get it, and you pour stain into a pan, you don't do that with paint. If you do, it comes out hard, and you drop it, it cracks, falls apart. Stain, you bring it out, and it bends. Ooh, yeah good so all the stain that was in all my containers i thought was bad i started peeling it off and i made those flowers look it's like stainless steel was a mistake stain was a mistake that was not offered its recognition so stain was something that was made and all these millions of scientists they left it they only wanted to use stain for wood or outside and your pages, grays, browns, and blues.
0: When considering Pittsburgh, it's important to think of the macro and the micro histories and how they added up to the art scene that we find today. Macro, Pittsburgh was once one of the five largest cities in the United States. Now, it finds itself in the high teens. This opens up opportunities for the arts to come in and fill that economic void. So, Pittsburgh is... Absolutely a collection of neighborhoods, some of them doing better than others, but all of them have opportunity to benefit from a concerted effort of working with the arts. Lawrenceville was simply just an experiment that we came upon because that's where the highest concentration of some of the galleries we were looking for. These co-ops of, or artists working together, glomming together, creating partnerships, this is undoubtedly the future that Pittsburgh holds All it takes is a little bit of ingenuity and organization, and this place is ready to pop off. It's a story that we see time and time again in many of the cities that we examine. So if you're an artist and you're interested in planting your flag in a new city, showing your works in some different places, then check us out at Artifications.us. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's right, I said, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Until I hear from you again, this is Roland Ramos saying, keep creating.